0: Here's Johnny! I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lump! And I'm walking here! I'm walking here! I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid
1: I can't do that. Groovy. Box office bulb. We can't be wrong if you can't hear us.
2: (laughs) That's actually a great slogan.
3: (laughs) But then we offend like the deaf audience for podcasts.
4: We've actually already there was an old joke we we offended deaf people pretty hardcore. Did we get letters? I mean, how would they write them?
3: <laughs> they're they're people, Mike. They they, they, they
4: can't dictate.
1: <laughs>
4: okay, now that I've dictated to you, can you read it
1: back to me? Please send your hate mail to Box Office Pulp. Hates my country.
2: By the way, have I told you guys that, uh, partially influenced by our inception commentary, I now have my own totem? (laughs) Uh, what is it? Uh, it's a rubber bouncy ball. (gasps) Ah, no, it doesn't work. We stole Uh, it. Only I know the exact, uh, bounce. The amount of bounce? See, I just found it on the floor at work last week and put it in my best pocket and forgot about it. And then whenever I clocked in the next day, just found it there. And took it out, bounced it once, grabbed it in midair, and said quietly, I'm not dreaming. (laughs) And then went and did my shift. I've done that every day since. I don't care who's watching. One day you're going to
1: bounce it, and it's going to hang in the air for two minutes, and you're going to freeze the fuck out. (laughs) If I ever meet you, I'm going to, like, sneak away that bouncy ball and fill it with lead and just really fuck with your head.
4: Oh, and then Marion Cultillard comes out and stabs you has a
1: really awkward death scene. <clears throat>
2: huh. The important thing is that I have a grasp on my reality, which is something I have not had for a very long time. So so I'm, I'm moving forward. Thanks to Box Office Pulp. Thanks, Box Office Pulp.
1: Hi, audience. I'm going to break the fourth wall because I don't believe in reality. How are you today, audience? Good. It's nice to hear. I don't have a better opening or even one written down, so we're going to jump right into things. Welcome <laughs> to Box Office Pulp. The podcast for movies, madness, and even Moxie. Joining me today, I'm your host, Cody. I got a little ahead of myself, but I'm Cody. And joining me today, James Lewis. Hey. Hey. Mike Napier.
4: Hey, you didn't have a pre-written thing.
1: I just, I just, I said that on air that I didn't have one written down. I know. I did just... that. I came out. I, I told everyone. I, I, I ain't got the goods. Hey. <laughs> that was very comforting. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> I didn't and know you needed to be comforted over there. Always,
1: constantly, there is no self-esteem over in Flexoland Land. Just uh, need a blanket. Just throw me in the trash. <laughs> and lastly, Mr. MB, I am not the podcaster of war, Diana. I am the podcaster of truth. It took me a minute to figure out what was happening, and I was worried you were having a stroke.
4: <laughs> it was also, I like how he's Mr. MB. Mr. MB. Which just sounds like he
1: should be the villain in a silent film. A little bit, yeah. MB, could you twirl your mustache for the audience? Oh, no, it's a horrible
2: MB, man. (laughs) Someone pretend to be a
1: train. I'll be tied to the tracks.
2: Ah, that pinches.
1: (laughs) We need a Foley person, just like a dedicated person who records us and does Foley work. Uh, We'll have the sound bar eventually. Someday.
3: That just requires someone to have to, like, tolerate our presence, and I don't think that's ever going to happen.
1: It'll probably be one of us, or possibly a clone. Hope you're enjoying the show, folks. Welcome to Box Office Pulp. And that's the whole show. Uh, we're actually here today to discuss Wonder Woman, which should hopefully be obvious from MB's introduction. If, and the fact uh, it's in the title of the episode. Yeah, do you, are there people that click these things without realizing what we're doing?
2: I hope so. That's the only way I to see, imagine most people listening,
1: so... I'm just saying, like, if they already know the name of every show we're doing, I don't need to introduce them. We can just get right down to the nitty-gritty.
3: It's us. We never get right down to anything.
4: That's
1: can we true. not, like, start
4: breaking the show, like, a hundred episodes in, please? <laughs> Fine.
1: <sighs> All right. So, I suppose on that note, we're actually going to discuss Wonder Woman. Let's go around the table here. What do everyone think? Is there one of us who's, like, secretly a terrible person who hated Wonder Woman?
4: No. I, I can play Double Dabble's no, if you want.
1: You can. I mean, on. That was Let me be my...
4: get my Trilby hat and my sunglasses. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> no, start developing... do not become
2: negative mind.
1: <laughs> I was going to say I'm going to start growing all my facial hair much faster. Uh, also, for everyone at home, this is an all male podcast for Wonder Woman. Uh, so you know, if you're frustrated about all female showings of Wonder Woman, you can come on this podcast, and then we're going to also tell you you're a moron. You should get off.
2: <laughs> okay, can we begin the podcast? By just talking about that, because if ever there was a launching off point. What a weird thing that
1: we live in a world where people saw that there was a movie called Wonder Woman, and there was a woman's only night showing for it, and they got them mad.
2: Like, no, I should no, be part that's, of that. That's not the story to me. This is, a, this is an uplifting thing, because you see that and think, oh, like all these idiots were getting so mad. I see that and say, look at those guys who got mad and were summarily embarrassed by the Alamo draft house itself. <laughs> Cuz that's my takeaway in this. The Alamo Draft House heard that and then just doubled down with more women's only screenings and then other theaters followed suit. <laughs>
3: There's actually a um, movie screen I, I have a friend uh, on Facebook who posted about uh Glaswegian uh screenings where they were following an Alma Draft House's uh, example and just doing women-only screens just in, in, as inspiration.
2: I want this to just keep going to the point where, when the Blu-ray is released, they have women's-only <laughs> Blu-ray, and if one of you tried to get it, you just get the shit knocked out of you by a security guard. By Tim League. <laughs>
1: he's a busy man he's just flying coast to coast to make this happen he's like Santa Claus and one night he beat the shit out of 90 bags. oh the Santa Claus
2: of ass kicking
4: <laughs> the Santa Claus of ass kicking isn't that just uh,
1: Santa Slay? I would love I would love to have that as a desk wedge so I also, Wonder Woman I, I like the idea of positive change in the world being powered exclusively by spite
2: now cool. <laughs> at this point I don't know what else is gonna win that's where we are we are Spite, in a spite-powered yeah. society. The prowls so gl- the
1: landscape.
2: Which is why I'm so glad <laughs> that we actually have something to look at like Wonder Woman, like, in our popular culture. Because, more so than anything else, the thing that blew me away about this movie, and I, I know I'm not alone in this, is just how good this fucking movie is. Not... In just in quality, but how much this movie is a thing of good that is good in the world. It's like holy shit! 2017 had a positive thing. I am I am amazed that somehow the DC animated or not animated,
1: the DC <laughs> film universe got this far in before suddenly something good popped up. Like it. Whatever. I feel like there should have been someone watching the whole time, and as soon as they realized something good was happening, they just, like, would halt production. Like, it was their job to make sure everything stayed on Suicide Squad level.
2: Oh, they did, but Gal Gadot just beat the shit out of all of them. She's <laughs> the Santa Claus of ass-kicking.
3: Here's, here's my theory for what exactly happened, because what Cody's saying is not very far off from basically what my thought on this movie was. Is just, I feel like this movie just kind of slipped under the radar of Warner Brothers because they were dealing with so many other projects. They were dealing with trying to launch a solo Batman movie after they got Ben Affleck. they were trying to launch like a suicide squad movie. They were trying to launch, I mean, they're still trying to launch Gotham city sirens and all these other weird sounding projects. black Adam, black Adam, the movie, like they're, they've got like all these other ones that they want to like studio note into oblivion. That I feel like Wonder Woman was the lucky one that got kind of slipped through the cracks and was the one they were like, uh, we, we have a contractual obligation to do this one, but we're not really, we don't really care how it turns out either way. So we'll just let it be done. But like, whoever wants to do it, uh, Patty Jenkins, you want to do it? Okay, cool. Uh, you, you do, do that. We'll focus on the important ones that we think should be done. And then they develop Justice League. And meanwhile, Wonder Woman is allowed to flourish and blossom into something that honestly, like, I didn't expect to be as good as it is. Like, and I'm not even saying that it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm really pleasantly surprised that it's good. It's like my one thing that I wanted going into this movie that I really wanted to be kind of my takeaway from this. And in the back of my head, I kind of thought would never even happen. Cause it was just too big thinking at this point. I wanted something that I could look at and put on a shelf next to Superman, the movie and Batman begins and say that goes right alongside them without any sort of compromise like without having to say well you know aside from these elements or that element or whatever it's 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 just as kind of good as those like no this is actually on their level this is actually so good that this is just the future of dc films and this is just the future of superhero cinema because in a movie filled year Of great superhero movies like Logan and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and even the Lego Batman movie, Wonder Woman is by far and away the one that left most of an impact with me. It left the biggest, strongest resonance with me, and it managed to do a lot right that I never thought in a million years that anyone, not even the comic books, would be able to do nearly as right as this movie does. Like, it was truly a movie that, I'm not ashamed to admit, brought me into tears. Like I'm, I'm legitimately saying, this movie made me extremely, extremely proud of the fact that we finally have a Wonder Woman movie that managed to live up to all the years of build up and anticipation for that to actually happen.
1: And be was in the theaters just Robin Wright. No, he's as was everyone else. Damn dirty Germans, you blew it all up. <laughs> Thank God you said Germans. what what did you think I was going to say I I don't even want to know
2: I I have two things to add to that uh, MV one if uh, what what you theorize about the production is true I hope that means that Cyborg is just going to blow the roof off of all of our heads (laughs) oh my god the places they went with Cyborg well it was interesting like all the reports are saying that
1: Warner Brothers is really surprised that the movie was successful they just kind of written it off And to that effect, they didn't even have Patty Jenkins contractually obligated to come back for a second. Like, it's not even in her contract that she's optioned for part two. So she's going to make mad bank at this point because she can probably just name the number she wants to come back and direct the second one. Pretty much. Which, hey, good for her. Get that money. And ha-ha to WB. Unfortunately, this gives them another chance to screw everything up by basically negotiating this into the ground and being like, nah, we don't want her.
3: Yeah, that's that's what I'm really actually kind of fearing happened, because they could barely get Matt Reeves to commit to the Batman. And if they tried to pull it out with Patty Jenkins, I feel like Patty Jenkins would just flat out say, no, I'll go to another studio. They, I can bank off of this for the rest of my career now, because I brought Wonder Woman to the screen. <laughs> I, have cl- I have clout and Credo again. I'm Richard Donner right now. <laughs> she is. I mean, really, it, truly. She is in that sweet spot of where... Joe Johnston was when he first directed Captain America, the first Avenger, and brought back his career briefly.
1: And Wait, like, I, I would like to think that's true, but if you look at her filmography, she directed Monster, which actually got like a ton of Oscar cred, in 2003. And everything after that was just a bit here and there of TV stuff.
4: There was a project she was doing that—I forget exactly what it was off the top of my head— um, but she just that she had the opportunity to do it through the studio system with studio money, but she opted to do it independently instead, and the money fell through. And after, so she spent years doing that. So by the time she came out, she's all she had was TV. Her follow-up project, she opted to go a different route on, and then the financing fell through after like a couple years.
1: Yeah, but this is like a fifteen-year gap between films, so I, I feel like as much as I would like her to just have the run of the gamut for choices. Not even sure if that's something that would work out. Like I, I just feel like if you can direct like something that makes tons of money and probably Oscar noms, and then they immediately go, eh, whatever. I have a feeling studios probably didn't learn anything from Wonder Woman.
4: It's hard to say. We we won't really see if movie studios
1: took anything away from this for you know another year or two. But predicting a much more fun Suicide Squad two that's for some reason set during World War Two.
2: <laughs> no, I would watch that actually.
4: But at the same time, money is the only thing that movie studios listen to, and currently Wonder Woman is making all of the money ever. What? Wonder How Woman did... is just pooping gold right now. <laughs> like, it, it's pretty much right now one of the most successful of the comic book movies since. I mean, it's been breaking records that ha- had, haven't been broken since Spider Man came out.
1: I'm just wondering, like, what studio executives are doing, because they're probably, like, sitting there holding a Blu ray of Deadpool in their left hand and then the financial reports of Wonder Woman in their right hand, and they don't know how to reconcile these things to make one fad. R-rated Gen 13 movie.
2: Yeah. Looks <laughs> <laughs> like a chat stain is. Caitlin Fairshaw. Yeah.
3: <laughs> What's well, the thing is, like, as much as you can say about, like, how uncertain the future is, one thing at least is pretty certain in my eyes is that, Wonder Woman at least showed a positive step in the direction of shattering a lot of illusions that Hollywood had about just not even superhero movies by themselves, just action movies, just any movies in general, is that you can have a female lead action star and have it work out for the best. You can have, like with Deadpool and the R-rated superhero movie, this managed to make a statement more than it even managed to just be a good movie. And it still managed to be an amazing movie. Like, it's it's so rare that you get the double punch of that sort of win, where you get something that not only sets out to do what it does as a movie, but it manages to change something at Hollywood. And I feel like we're already sort of beginning to see the reverberations of that. Like, even Kevin Feige just today came out and had this, like, statement about, like, how immensely proud he was of the fact that Wonder Woman was able to do this and how it's gonna, like, really... It makes him happy to go into and do Captain Marvel, and it it really, like...
1: He He then asked him about Black Widow, and he said no.
2: (laughs) You don't know how high up that goes, people. (laughs) It's like Spider-Man's marriage. Um, I, I feel like... Do you like the biggest takeaways from this? Like, there's the obvious thing of oh holy shit a female-led superhero movie can make all the money in the world that's not something we have to be afraid of anymore too just the fact that it's a female-led studio movie that doesn't really star a name yeah but nobody really knows who the hell gal gadot is no people are going to wonder woman to see wonder woman she's the name of this movie
4: oh well, it's Hollywood's had an interesting dismantling of the star system over the last few years, and comic book movies actually have a very big part in why that is. Uh, no one really... Movie movie stars don't really push the numbers as much as they used to, but it's interesting how the female-driven action movie, like big studio movie, has slowly been kind of unshackled since, I would say, Lucy came out.
1: Oh, and yeah. Beat the
4: shit out of Hercules. But that was still like a name, name, actress, and blah, blah, blah. And it was still, you know, it was mostly a small film, but you kind of see like everything loosening up. It was like kind of popping up a little bit more and more. Wonder Woman, I find, is like the, com- the end of that journey, like started with Lucy. And then you end up with this big, giant budget name superhero movie starring no one in particular.
2: And, and it's not like Wonder Woman is Spider Man, yeah. where it's like it literally does not matter who's in the mask to ninety nine percent of people. It's like no, you're you're gonna see
4: Diana's face that entire movie. And on top of that, you have the character whose last appearance was tied to a movie no one liked, and that still was able to you know blow the doors off the Dawn of Justice problem. Granted, <laughs> everyone, the only thing anyone remembers from Dawn of Justice is fucking Wonder Woman.
3: Which is helps. I'm I'm so glad now, like in retrospect, that she only gets five minutes in the movie, whereas before I was like, Why was she in the movie more? They needed more of her. I'm so glad they kept her out of it because she was saved for good in this. What? Like this is it says a lot to where we were going into this movie, not really knowing whether or not Gal Godot could really actually pull off being a leading focus
2: oh, of a you're movie talking like about this? that like three episodes ago. Uh. Yeah,
3: like we didn't know whether or not this would actually work out. This is, everything was still up in the air and thank goodness just everything just kind of fell into place because Gal Gadot is awesome in this movie. She's charming as hell. She's, she, she pulls off just these little emotions with Diana's character that I wouldn't, I wouldn't even expect out of any other like huge actor who's playing a superhero. Like I wouldn't expect that, that kind of play out of Downey with iron man or i wouldn't expect that kind of thing from like affleck as batman or any anyone who is currently being acclaimed for their role in a leading part of a superhero movie Gal Gadot does things that other characters just aren't allowed to do and yeah a lot of that is part of just being a woman and being the first real big superhero lead that is a woman But also, there's a part of it that just leads to what the real success of the movie is, is that they got Diana, the character from the comic books, the character that even the comic books can't get right half of the time, they got her and managed to nail her down the first time out. And that is a miracle. Like, they managed to take so much of that material from the comics that has been convoluted for so many years, that has been up to speculation because this writer has this interpretation of who Diana is. And this writer has a different interpretation of who Diana is. And Wonder Woman, the movie just says, okay, this is one concise version that blends everything together, but also just makes it easy to follow and makes it simplified. That's what I love about the movie so much is that it takes one of the most complicated characters, one of the most complicated primary characters in a superhero comic book and just says, okay, okay, these are the bare essentials, just run with this and tell a character piece.
2: Let's say with the character of Wonder Woman, I think it's a bit of a, a misconception that Diana is that complicated. Because, like, no, in the world of comic books, no, Cable is complicated. <sighs> oh, God. Pope Summers is complicated. Bishop is complicated. I'm just yes, going yes, X-Men. X-Men characters, you sting at my heart. <laughs> Diana is very simple. It's just so many people make the mistake of trying to overcomplicate Wonder Woman out of the mistaken belief that there's something fundamentally broken about her. And you need to band-aid that as much as possible with all these other things. And this movie is such a perfect statement on how, no, there's nothing wrong with Wonder Woman. Because this is just a one hundred percent no bullshit Wonder Woman, and Mike, I know like that was a huge concern with you going in. Was that okay? They're gonna, they're probably gonna do the zoo stuff. They're gonna, they're gonna find some way to make it not quite Wonder Woman. And like, I know you were just, we were all blown away by how just no, it's it's just Wonder Woman. I was just
4: over the moon in the theater. Just I. In that way, where, like, uh, it's been, of course, a lot of people can compare it to watching Superman the movie or Spider-Man the movie, where it's like, it's just that. Kind of no bullshit, no frills, no added nonsense. It's just that thing, but in movie form. I got that with Wonder Woman. It's just, I'm watching that character off the page. No caveats recently going like, yeah, but they also unfortunately did this, or they did this. They tried to, you know... Square peg, round hole, various uh, pieces of that character, which is something the comics do with Diana very often. That's where you get the random, complicated inconsistencies. Where no, stop trying to do things to Diana. Just
2: can she be Superman?
4: Yeah, and you get that with the with the movie. It's just Wonder Woman. Here's everything about Wonder Woman: her history, her personality, her role all condensed into about two and a half hours without really changing anything. Yeah, they do do the Daughter of Zeus thing, but in a non-bullshit version, honestly.
2: Uh, Can we talk for a moment just about the way this movie treats the Greek mythology in general? Because this floored me. This is fascinating. The most no-brainer thing that's ever been done with Wonder Woman's origin. Oh, the gods are all dead. If I had to point out the number one most difficult to deal with part of Wonder Woman's mythology, it's that in every single reboot and reinterpretation, the thing they always leave is the Greek gods just hanging around in togas, Zeus just being Zeus. And unlike with like Thor, where that really, like that is the comic, The stuff with the Greek gods always just complicates things. Yeah. So it was so amazing to see a take on the mythology where they not only take that really uh, problematic thing out of the equation, they do it in a way that lends so much more strength and importance to Diana and the Amazons, where they're not just essentially a cult on an island worshipping some gods that are still around. No, they're the torchbearers of that power. They are all that's left of that world, and that is such a cool idea.
4: And with Diana being the daughter of Zeus in this version as well, it makes her essentially the last god. And the whole god-killer idea uh, behind this particular origin gives an actual motif to that change, and to her origin, which was lost when you just made her the daughter of Zeus in New 52 comics.
2: Zeus has like 30 kids.
4: Yeah. (laughs) She was just the daughter of Zeus. Here Zeus, she's the daughter of Zeus with a particular purpose. And with the other god, and with the gods actually gone, she's all that's left of that actual purpose.
2: And it's just the way that uh, Greek mythology and Amazons in general are portrayed is so fucking inventive. Like, just at the, I don't know if you felt the same way, but I was so impressed by how the info dump exposition was handled at the beginning of this movie, because we've seen this so many times. When it started up, I was very nervous. <laughs> and then we get, like, a very original scene of, like, the war of the gods being shown through renaissance art animated and 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 that being uh set against diana sneaking out and training like the second we saw that juxtaposition that's when i know oh we're not getting a by the numbers movie are we
4: yeah
2: this this has got patty jenkins's thumbprint on it i'm just bouncing in my seat like oh we we get two all-tour superhero movies this year it's <laughs> also A big thing, even beyond the
3: whole Greek mythology aspect and where the gods sit and within the actual mythology of the Wonder Woman comics, is just Diana herself, as Mike kind of hinted at, has been written very bizarrely over the years because you'll have different writers have different ideas, or even like James said, will have this idea that something is wrong with the original concept of who Diana is. Was originally created to be like as William Moulton Marston created her, as she was in the 50s and the 60s, and somewhere along the 70s, with the weird reboot and Danny O'Neill having to just write the most tone deaf reimagining of a character probably ever put to a, a page, honestly, up until George Perez rebooted her and made her more of a concise character. And it's something that was just easy to follow along and just had more of a motif next to characters like Batman and Superman and the other members of the Justice League. And along the way throughout all these reimaginings, because there was also the Phil Jimenez run or the Phil Jimenez run in uh, the mid 90s after a very long run in which... Diana was killed off by a demon, and there was all the, there was all these weird like side stories that just had nothing to do with anything. She was in a, a leather at some point, like she was in a leather biker outfit for the first time in her
2: career, not the last,
3: not the last. Um, and there was just. If you look at the history of Wonder Woman, just as she's been in print, there are so many storylines that try to fundamentally change who Diana is at her core, and not just as an aesthetic. It's not like with Batman, where you, you just have the two versions of Batman. There's either the light version or the dark version. There's a version of Superman that's pretty much concise throughout, and it's the little things that are changed around him. And even with the Marvel characters, those characters don't really change and remain stagnant, sometimes even to a fault. But with Wonder Woman, there is always someone gunning to change her. And this movie is a complete rejection of that. It says this is what she's about. This is what she has always meant to be about. And this movie, I'm so glad it exists just for the fact that so many young girls specifically are going to be able to look at this movie, have an idea of who that character is, just like we had when we were kids, when we saw Superman the movie, when we saw Batman 89. Like, say what you will about the deviations from the source materials and those respective films. We got who the core characters were with those films. We got who Batman was. We got who Superman was. And we got, even with the Marvel movies, we got who the X-Men were. They had the main tenet there. This movie finally, breathta, like, breathtakingly and refreshingly has a core tenet for who Diana is and makes it clear, never try to change this, because this is the path to success. This is where you get a version of Diana that is kind and noble and believes in humanity's capacity for good beyond just an arbitrary, you have to believe in their capacity for good because you're the hero. Like, she genuinely believes that humanity doesn't want any part of war. They don't want any part of violence. They're just being influenced by this other presence, and there is no such thing as actual evil beyond Ares. There's no such thing as them just having to work for themselves. And even when she's proven wrong, she gets a positive message out of that, which no superhero ever does. None. Like, I've always had to come away from superhero movies, like especially great ones like The Dark Knight and ones that really get the character right, like Captain America the Winter Soldier. And I still have to walk out of them really satisfied and really, like, loving those movies, even beyond just superhero movies. Like, Winter Soldier and Dark Knight are two of my favorite movies in general. But I always have left those movies with kind of a voice in the back of my head saying, like, there was one element that just seemed like it was missing. Because no superhero in these movies ever fully embraces true altruism. They never embrace the idea that goodness can be found along with the bad. They they just go out to punch the bad guy. That's it. Like, that's their end goal. is just to defeat the villain. Wonder Woman has such a bigger message to undo and has such a bigger message to put out there. And it's so needed in 2017. Like, it honestly kind of makes the wait to see Wonder Woman on film so worth it because...
2: We are at a time when... Oh, the world needs her the most. Yeah. yeah,
3: All the world is waiting for her. I mean, there's no no better way to put it. it.
2: It's so incredible that this is a multi-million dollar budget, big-ass deal, franchise-carrying superhero movie that ends with the character monologuing about love. Like, this is only a couple of years after a superhero movie didn't have the balls to end with Superman saving the day. Because who would want to see that? that? That's some pussy talk right there.
4: I've been saying something for a couple of years in regards to these movies, and just movies in general, um, which is somewhere along the way, everyone decided sincerity was wrong.
2: Yes. That's and, something that's happened to society in our generation. And
4: Wonder Woman exemplifies... Why sincerity in the project you're doing, in the story you're telling, in the character you're writing matters and makes the media you're putting out there worth it and worth something and makes it good. Patty Jenkins, uh, shortly after the movie came out, had a very long quote. I should have brought it up uh, to read. Go to, If you want to find it with your Machine Man keyboard, that would be nice.
1: I am no longer on my Machine Man keyboard.
4: Oh yeah, that's disappointing. I'm gonna listen, mis-
1: listen to this. Uh, you can't, can't run the, the wind show. keyboard.
4: Just type it when it's not connected to anything. Can you,
1: uh, hold
0: on. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: like
4: the Cody's fingers bursting out into a million fingers and typing.
2: Oh, this has never happened before!
4: But I like it. But um it was nice going into a movie and seeing that there's no, there's no winking to the camera like, yeah, we know, it's a superhero, it's kind of stupid. Even the Marvel movies fall into this trap from time to time. Even as close to, they're sincere about what the characters are in the Marvel films, but a lot of the time it's still a little bit of, well, the bad guy's attacking them so they have to stop them. You know, Captain America's pretty sincere in what he does, of course, but there's still something that's a bit lost like mb was saying with wonder woman there's no shrugging of the shoulders when she says that love is the most important thing that's the point of the movie you're watching love can actually save the world and it's not said with a wink or eh, yeah this is a little bit dopey or we have to you know cut to something dark and gritty to try to balance this out because we don't want to lose the audience here No, it's meant whenever it's actually spoken.
3: Which is, like, it's so important to have movies like this that actively go out of their way to have sincerity and use it as a weapon. Because they're actively battling the preconceived notions of what a superhero movie should be. And when you do that, you start the road to actually changing superhero movies for the better and start moving in something that in the future may even lead to better movies. Like, I can't honestly wait for a positive sort... Of, I can't, I honestly do think that Wonder Woman is going to have a positive reinforcement among at least this subgenre of film. Because you can't look at this and just immediately brush it off and then go back to doing the normal thing, where everyone goes and has to have a personal stake in the fight and has to have, like oh we we' gotta get to the third act villain, so we're just gonna we're just gonna have them go and just race on a time clock and do the thing that we have seen a hundred times over and just ignore everything that Wonder Woman went out of its way to actively contradict in a way that was almost kind of a middle finger, but not in a way that felt vindictive like this movie is not out to rip apart the superhero genre it's not out to redefine anything it's just being true to who its character is and that that kind of speaks to wonder woman's role in the dce universe it's just she's out to change she's mm-hmm. out to change everything
2: wonder woman feels like an antidote to lo- a lot of woes of modern superhero movies but not s- exactly deliberately what i think it is is wonder woman just feels amazingly out of time like, I think one of the first things I said to you guys the day I watched it was, it felt like a movie that was made in 2001, but with the budget of, and especially, and uh, filmmaking techniques of a modern film. Cause it, this movie has no pre- preconceived notions about what a superhero movie is supposed to be, other than the ones that come from Superman the movie. I will say,
1: that it does end on that annoying, gigantic CGI battle fight. That's just the current trend now that every superhero has to have. We will get there. (laughs) Because I I do have some comments about
4: that. But in the uh, original Dawn of Justice episodes of this very podcast...
2: Promotion!
4: There you go. Uh, In the original Dawn of Justice episodes, uh, the opening of part one, I talked about... The experience I had in the theater watching Dawn of Justice, where all the children who came to see Batman and Superman ended up being more or less horrified by the film they were watching <laughs> um and essentially cried, so yeah. now, I didn't really have any um uh, i mean i probably- I did have children in my audience, but they nowhere near, so I don't know what the reaction was. They were quiet, good. <laughs> I respect you children, but shut up
1: as the uh, Lord intended.
4: So. <laughs> But seeing the reaction children are having to Wonder Woman is the exact, is the exact antidote to what I walked away feeling philosophically broken about over Dawn of Justice. Like this is the kind of film I want children to actually be watching. They're actually going to, as the way superheroes should work, particularly the DC heroes, you're gonna walk away as a kid having actually figured something out. You're going to be taking something
2: away from it. Wonder Woman's a good fucking role model. Yeah. I stand by her and her decisions. (laughs) I meant to mention this uh, during MB's opening when he was talking about uh, getting emotional during the movie. But the person I saw Wonder Woman with wept openly at the end. And when those credits rolled up, our audience gave it a round of applause. I haven't seen that since... I think the Dark Knight. And you're in Alabama. I know. So that means, like, triple. Women are illegal down here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in them. So, Cody, you've been quiet. Uh,
1: You guys have had the talking points here. I will say it was very impressive going into my theater because it was, like, the 70 millimeter showing. So instead of any ads beforehand, it, the screen was just down and they are playing classical music really loudly. <laughs> it's
2: very tone appropriate.
1: Yeah, so I, I go to get my seat, I got my beer, and ride of the Valkyries is just blaring. And the screen pulls up and the music stops and it goes directly into a couple minute scene from Dunkirk. He's like, "Oh, I like this. This is nice." <laughs> Did you guys get that uh, Dunkirk preview? No. It's uh I don't know how many people got. it. I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it, but it was it's only
4: at special theaters.
1: Yeah, it was it was honestly really, really gripping. But I'm real excited for Dunkirk now. Like, I was interested before, and now I'm I'm actually pumped for that movie. I'm very excited for Dunkirk. I, and I feel like I'm lucky, too, because a lot of people apparently saw the movie and they got a preview for Justice League in front of it, and I feel like Justice League is the worst possible preview you could have running into this. <laughs>
2: Dunkirk is weirdly more tonally appropriate.
4: It was weird getting a Justice League trailer with... Wonder, with a Wonder Woman that that is Wonder Woman after the movie we're about to watch.
1: Yeah, well, um, I guess my complaint would be, you know, I've obviously seen the Justice League trailers, and the thing I've seen other people commenting on is you have this version of Wonder Woman who is filmed by a woman, and you don't kind of have that weird male gaze thing going on, and then you go to a Zack Snyder movie where Zack Snyder has, like, a male gaze for every person. <laughs> Like, he gets... Mostly he, Batman, weirdly.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it oh, does...
1: Like, everyone, everyone is sexualized in the Zack Snyder movie. Like, 300? Just think of, like, all the ab shots and stuff.
2: Yeah, you really can't make the argument that Snyder's superhero movies are sexist. They just exist in the fuck-verse. <laughs> mm, mm, Batman, Batman, mm, mm, Batman, Batman. <laughs> that's, that's
1: honestly it. Like, if you're in a Zack Snyder movie... He's going to make you look goddamn hot. That camera's going to be up in your biz. You
2: and glistening.
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. He's going to make you look like, he, you know, you should be on, like, the cover of Cosmo. What
4: do you think J.K. Simmons is Gordon? he
1: <laughs> just jacked. <laughs> Sexy J.K. Ooh.
2: The thing that weirded me out about getting the Justice League trailer was seeing the exact same money shot of The Flash in the DC opening. <laughs> okay, that was just a fucking traced over shot of The Flash, right? <laughs> I like it's okay for them to do that. It's just back to back. Then why did you put it in the (laughs) trailer?
1: So yeah, it's it's so weird. Like it's it's a weird Mobius relationship. Wonder Woman is going to get people to go see Justice League because they're excited about Wonder Woman now. However, Justice League is going to turn people off of Wonder Woman because she's done totally different than she is in this movie. So they just kind of keep feeding into each other, like, people will love Wonder Woman, and that'll get them to go see other DC movies, but the other DC movies will get them to not want to see Wonder Woman as much.
2: I think it says a lot that the Wonder Woman movies are apparently all going to be prequels, so they don't have to deal with any of that shit. I've
1: heard some chatter back and forth, like, originally it sounded like that was definitely going to be a prequel, and then some stuff more recently saying, well, that's not set in stone.
3: The only
4: thing Jenkins has said is that it's in America.
3: Yeah. I really hope that they keep it going and just other other periods uh way before the 2000s. Because I, I want to see Wonder Woman, like, honestly, the perfect decade to set the next one is the 70s. Because can you imagine?
1: I, I feel like, unfortunately, though, Dawn of Justice would have to be retconned a little bit. Because the way they set it up, Diane has, like, been very, like, down against people since the incident kind of deal. And the incident apparently would be this movie.
3: What do you mean? Unfortunately, I would love for Dawn of Justice to be on as much as possible.
1: <laughs> I mean, in general, though, like if you have continuity in a shared uh, uh, shared universe, as soon as you start breaking that stuff, it gets frustrating.
2: Well, th- well, they have a, a big window to play with because they have pretty much the entire 20th century for Diana to briefly retire from being Wonder Woman. Yeah, there's like a hundred years gap do, between. They could World just do with an unrelated trilogy and just like explain it away in one of the fucking Justice League movies or something. Yeah, but well, it
1: feels a so throwaway. There'd have to be like the way it's set up, something major happened in her life that turned her against people. You're weakening Dawn just even more if you play that off.
2: Good. Make it
1: that, that movie needs as much help as it can get.
2: <laughs> no, it doesn't no, deserve- it needs to be forgotten.
3: <laughs> it needs to be forgotten and burned.
1: <laughs> the framing device for this movie doesn't help, then, because they explicitly mention like, the photograph and Diana's introduction, so... Uh... Hey, Personally, I think the best solution it. would be to edit Wonder place. Woman and just drop the first five and ten minutes out.
2: Hey, you could still have the movie take place in the same universe and just weasel out of the preconceived notions that were vaguely hinted to in Dawn of Justice. Because that really? movie doesn't tell you anything. You could
4: literally... You don't even have to show the events. You could literally go either a flashback or just have Diana tell it once, and then we move on.
3: Or you could just do my idea and not have it take place in the same universe, and Michael Keaton's Batman is the one sending her <laughs> the photograph. Because I'm sorry, I don't see Ben Affleck whenever I see, like, the Wayne Enterprises. Which, by the way, let, let, let me just talk about that for one minute. Like
4: The funniest thing in the
1: world.
3: Warner Brothers... Okay, they had they didn't really have any studio notes for this, but I feel like Batman himself wrote a studio note because he had to shove his company logo in the first frame of Can another. I advertise.
2: Movie. <laughs> this is where you're wrong, MB. If it were Keaton instead of the photo of her, it would just be a signed headshot of Michael Keaton, <laughs> signed Batman, signed Batman. You're finally oh, you remember me
1: by. Also, there well, was, was... Uh, there were some notes on this. Patty Jenkins had to fight to get the no-man's land scene in. They didn't want that.
2: I'm sure they really didn't want her saving people.
1: <laughs> well, they felt it was just too much of a detour for the movie, and she's like, no, it's important to show her kind of rising up and being an inspiration. Sure, it's kind of a detour from what we want to get to, but it's one of the most powerful moments in the film, so she was convinced it needed to be there, and she was 100% correct. But she had to go out of her way to prove this to the studio before they let her make it.
4: Nothing sums up Warner Brothers better. But I like like this for two reasons. One, I like how, oh, now you care about useless (laughs) B-plot. Right, yeah. Two, oh, now you care about just fighting the villain. (laughs) Where were you on literally all of the other movies you've made so far?
1: Well, it's great, because in the movie, that's kind of a plot point. The other characters are like, no, that's not worth fighting for. I mean, if we do our one mission, we've ended the war, so this is pointless. We don't need to save these specific lives. It's a Yeah, it's like... Uh... Wonder Woman's like, that's insane.
2: If we cannot let people die, we should probably not let them die. Like, can we just talk about this fucking sequence, which may be one of the greatest sequences in any superhero movie ever. And the thing that makes it stand out so much and so powerful on initial viewing is just what you were saying it's a detour that doesn't really affect anything with the main plot it's the, it's the most wonder woman thing in the world she just passes by something that's wrong and immediately decides to fix it exactly. for no reason other than it's the right thing to do
4: it shows the change wonder woman gives to the world In this situation.
1: It's something we get away from in superhero films because they have this large view. Like, they're always trying to stop something that's going to be the apocalypse. Spider-Man is, like, the only character we still have who is like, oh, crap, I need to stop that mugging because that's what I should do.
3: And even he, like, he had to stop Dr. Octopus from creating a son. Yeah. Like, they, they got away from that pretty quickly with even him. And Wonder Woman is just the one character where I'm like... No, that is integral to the, like, you can do a Batman movie where he tries to stop a plot by Rachel Gould. That's fine. That's what Batman does. But Wonder Woman is so on the level of just, okay, every form of crime is wrong and every form of crime is just as important to tackle. Like, she has more of a scope really than people like Bruce or Clark have where Clark just wants to save people and then it's more about like if if he will fight the villain then that's more of like a secondary thing. Diana sees what's right in front of her and is like, no, I I fix this thing right now and I will I will enact change from there and that's exactly what happens in no man's land sequence.
2: And Diana makes it very clear, no life is more important than any other. Yeah. Although I
1: do find it funny we have a superhero film where like the argument over isn't over should we kill people? It's when is the right time to kill people? Which I say is a good question. It's <laughs> should now a the- <laughs> Should we kill the evil Nazi now, or should we hold off until we get some of this Armistice stuff taken care of?
3: That's, well, that's another thing that kind of blows my mind about this movie, is that this movie totally features a superhero who kills a villain, but it, it's meant to serve as a purpose. It's meant to serve as a lesson to Diana, because... She's trying to take out the one source of all evil that will fix everything forever. Like every single one of these superhero movies eventually try and, like they eventually try and do that. Like with Batman and Batman Begins, the only thing that mattered was stopping Rachel Gould from destroying Gotham and, you know, plunging the Narrows into chaos. Like with Captain America the first Avenger, the only thing that mattered was stopping the Red Skull from dropping these bombs all over New York and, and doing catastrophic damage, but Wonder Woman sees that and that's her initial goal and she enacts it because she mistakenly believes that Ludendorff is Ares. So she uses the God Killer to kill him and then sees that people are still going. Like that's not, a, that's not at all what's happening. And people just have it in them that sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. And they're, it's up to them to finally kind of make the choice of what they are. And through making that very superhero movie choice, she discovers something more important than that. And I kind of love the juxtaposition of that, where it's like, okay, you're looking at this thing that's been done before. And again, I don't think this was by intention, because I don't think this was meant to be a takedown of anything. But you're looking at this thing that has been so prevalent in so many other superhero movies. And this is the one movie where I've seen them take that plot line and say, okay, you know how this normally plays out, and this is logically where it would end. Let's show the end and then show the aftermath and show that that, that net actually doesn't change anything at all. And, and what what we actually need to do is fight something deeper and more more internally rooted.
2: And then the movie ends with Diana sparing the life of a villain. That's
1: very, yeah, that's an interesting point. She lets uh, Doc Poison live, whereas the- before that she had really no compunction about murdering people.
2: Wait, wait, wait. Did you just say Doc Poison? Doc Poison. Did you just on, make
1: her even cooler? <laughs> we're we're on like a first name basis. We're we're buds. We're besties. They're married now. Yeah.
4: Uh, well Diana does She's the gal for me.
1: <laughs> she would
4: be. With a <laughs> horrifying face. Hey, she's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I like the ceramic mask.
1: <laughs> Horrific scars are only skin
4: deep guys. That's true. That's 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 what I have to say to myself every morning. No, those are emotional. Those are deeper. Uh, oh, oh, that's I, I'm sorry. I got confused. I have to die now. Um, <laughs> well, Diana does the warrior thing she's read stories about and wanted to live up to by being more like her mother, Hippolyta, by slaying foe Ares in the most Amazon mythology type of way with her classic Wonder Woman speech, which I still can't believe she said in the movie. I'm so happy. <laughs> but um, she immediately finds out that's Wrong and has to internalize herself and her view of the world it's not it's not quite how she sees it, but it's still how she sees it. There's sort of a, a gray area she has to realize exists with humanity. It's not just good and evil, and by going through this and her conversation with Aries, she actually earns both the moment where she ends up sparing Dr. Poison, which is the exact opposite of what she was doing earlier but it also earns her defeating Ares in a battle.
3: And not only that, but what leads into this is one of the most amazing feats of this movie because if there was anything that stood in this movie's way in terms of opposition story-wise was it had to feature one character named Steve Trevor. And (sighs) that could have easily gone so wrong because Steve Trevor, (laughs) as we've noted in graphic novelism, cross-promotion,
1: Cross promotion.
3: As we've noted in our other podcast, (laughs) too excited, Cody. Cody. (laughs) As we noted in our other podcast, Steve Trevor is the worst character in comics and needs to
2: die. And we've been looking forward to hating the Steve Trevor for like a year now. Damn
1: you, Chris Pine, and your smooth moves. (laughs) And this version of Steve. Trevor
3: actually serves a larger purpose in that he not only guides Diana to that revelation that Mike was talking about, but he exemplifies everything that she sees in humanity in a way that doesn't talk down to her character or detriment anything. He's there to serve an actual story function. He's not there to just be the dude like he is in the other one. Like the, uh, I'm sorry, the other one. Like he is in every other version of Wonder Woman that's told in the comics or in the other movies or the the animated movie specifically that came out in 2009. Except Grant Morrison's. Uh, Except Grant Morrison's. And even then, it's like he, he really doesn't serve a ton of purpose. He just has more of a character arc. Steve Trevor in this actually adds to Diana's character and makes himself useful to Diana's character and you actually believe that they're attracted to one another and also he has character traits of his own that are very charming and affable. And I I love the version of Steve Trevor in this ver like this movie.
4: This is a Diana and Steve that actually learn from one another and compliment one another. And the thing that I'm gonna think I can't believe I'm about to say any of the things I'm about to say. I fucking <laughs> and it's hate recorded. Steve Trevor so much as a character, so I can't believe this is shocking to me. Trevor is kind of the secret heart of the film, and I can't believe that's a thing. So much... Of course, he doesn't propel the story. Diana does, but he serves a particular purpose to both the character of Diana and the the larger story being told by the fact he's trying to change what he is as and go against orders as much as Diana is from what her mother has been telling her. And the, the ultimate sacrifice Steve ends up making, which is that's how you use Steve Trevor, you kill him at the end. Exactly. <laughs> is, like, if you actually view his character arc from beginning to his death, it's such an amazingly kind of beautiful, complete story. Because not only does he learn from Diana throughout the course of the film. That's also kind of the Steve that starts the film as well. You just don't really know that's who Steve is yet. And the thing that I find interesting about his sacrifice is, unlike in a lot of movies, there's no hesitation on Steve as to what he's going to do. He just decides that's going to happen and does it because he wants to... This is what he's felt like his purpose is going to be.
3: The entire movie is basically him searching for a purpose because he's so lost in the war.
1: Well, it feels like there was, like, another scene or maybe a script revision or something where he had more backstory and they just figured it wasn't important enough to waste time on. Because so he has that whole, I'm a spy, I run from things, blah, 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 kind of passing mentions of a backstory. We just never delve into him, which is fine. We don't need to. I'd like to imagine, though, this movie ends with him, like, in Paris, just doing the Dark Knight Rises thing.
2: <laughs> that piece of shit. <laughs> uh, he's there with Edda. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> said one nice thing about you, and look what happens.
4: What I mean when I say that Steve's the heart, this kind of the secret heart of the film, is he is the representation of humanity to Diana. Mm -hmm. And that's what the heart of Wonder Woman, no matter what iteration it is, is always about. It's humanity and Diana, and Diana's view of humanity. And the fact that Steve just decided to sacrifice himself for the greater good You know, no hesitation, no trying to figure out a different way. Just he has to do this thing that goes against the grain of the kind of piece of shit he sort of kind he sort of is or at least the role of a piece of shit he's been forced into and go completely against the grain. That's a large part of the quote unquote lesson that Diana learns after she kills uh, Ludendorff and everything, her worldview sort of crashes down around her.
1: I also really like that uh, we had a – street. There's a, there's a romance there, but it's not spurred on because Steve Trevor, Steve Trevor is just so dang hot. So that, it, well,
2: that's so, true. She's like not really interested
1: – <laughs> <laughs> she's just not interested in him at all physically that much. It's everything we've just discussed. It's the fact that he is believing there's more man can do and he wants to fight for truth, justice, American Way, Apple Pie, all the Captain America kind of stuff that makes him appealing. Which is a very nice change. Like, oh, wait, a real foundation for characters that have chemistry between each other? That's nice. Uh,
3: And it's particularly striking for a character like Steve Trevor, and I can't emphasize this enough. He's just there to be the male, like, topsy-turvy version of the damsel in distress, classically, for the superhero. And that's his purpose. I mean, he's just an army dude who constantly has to be saved by wonder woman or constantly has to talk down to wonder woman as james james posted a couple of panels of steve trevor from the 40s <laughs> and i was just so mad cuz i was like that's yeah that's steve trevor in a nutshell it's just him ta- trying to like weigh in and say hey diana when are we going to get married huh and she started
1: the show with those just like a whole bunch of hey there lady get your cheese out of my face there's man <laughs> business to do
3: Basically, I mean that—that's not really a joke. That's not
1: really an exaggeration of who Steve. No, Trapper that was an does. actual panel from 1944.
3: Yeah, little known fact, but like, <laughs> Steve Trapper is just the ultimate, just kind of insult in comics because it's just there to basically show, oh, Diana isn't like those other superheroes. She excuse men.
2: Well, the entire reason that that became a thing was because of the comics code. Like a lot of people don't realize, whenever the Comics code first went into effect. uh, There were vague rules about female characters, like being super prominent in books. The main comics code is mostly uh, focused on the sexual nature of these characters. You know, stuff like Catwoman uh, wasn't going to be allowed. But DC, in its practice of the comic code, went super hardcore because how afraid they were of backlash. So it was a rule that characters, female characters couldn't be too prominent in their own books. So Steve Trevor had to constantly be there and talk down to Diana and had to be just as important as she was.
3: And out of that, just evil that was basically created because I mean, that is just a complete dampening of those comics. I mean, Comics Code did a lot of damage to a lot of different characters, but specifically that version of Steve Trevor to the early Adventures of Wonder Woman, this is the inverse of that in every possible way because not only is Steve an actual character with his own purpose to serve, with his own story to tell, he's actually engaging and you sympathize with him on a level that allows him to be sleazy and be flawed and, and have all these different sort of character traits that aren't really typical of, like, a a counterpart sort of role that you would have in these types of movies. Like, there was no, like, dictation that Hayley Atwell in Captain America, the first Avenger, had to have these, like, really sleazy, flawed moments, though I would kill to see that version of Captain America. Oh, my God.
2: Just Peggy Uh, Carter drunk as shit trying to pick (laughs) up dudes.
3: But, like, with this version, you get a version of Steve Trevor that just... Is, I mean, he, I think it was basically just said best when he was compared to Cassian Andor from Rogue One. Oh, yeah. He has that exact same sort of character drive, except I, I honestly felt like this was way better done. Because like, this, to me, felt like it was fleshed out over the runtime, which is another thing that was also brought up. Like, whenever Mike originally saw it, because he was uh, the first one to talk to me, at least, about it whenever he first saw it. The movie feels its length and actually, like, uses its length to its advantage. Oh, you've I had a at the end
1: of Wonder Woman. It feels like a true journey. I will partially argue I had to really go to the bathroom at the end of the movie, so those last <laughs> 20 minutes just were eternity. Also, I ended up having to break and get up, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, yeah I had to go to bathroom the bathroom like twice.
1: Seen, so I didn't miss too much. I'm a speed here. Uh, but, but also, MB, you set up, like, a really terrible joke, and I, I would feel remiss if we didn't rewind just so I could make it. Uh, could you repeat the line? The comic character, the comic code, did a lot of damage to a lot of characters.
3: I mean, the comic code did a lot of damage to a lot of characters.
1: Like my favorite character, Seaman. <laughs> okay. I like forward. how you this inferred so much. <laughs>
4: same. I like how you inferred that was an
1: obvious joke. <laughs> it wasn't. No one else had that idea. No. Okay. i was, I was just about real characters that couldn't show back up. I'm sorry, I had to, we had to go back and make that joke here. night. No, I'm consuming glad you did.
4: I'm glad you
1: did. And now we move
2: on. I'm glad Cody got his sillies out an hour into this episode.
1: That's pretty much it, yeah. I would have been sitting here the rest of the night like, when am I going to make that joke now?
2: <laughs> but um, I feel, what it, it fascinates me that what they essentially did was George Perez's middle-aged, traumatized Vietnam veteran Steve Trevor, but just as sexy, young um, Steve Trevor. <laughs> and uh, and I, This is one of the only versions of Steve I've ever seen who's just portrayed as being 100% just supportive of Wonder Woman, and learns things from her. Like, it wasn't until I was like, re-watching uh, a scene earlier today that I realized uh, the trick he does whenever he uh, grabs the a bit of armor and holds it over himself so Diana can leap off of it and hit the building is something he saw Antiope do whenever he first arrived at Paradise Island. Yeah. It's like, oh, like, he learned from the Amazons as a fellow warrior.
1: I I do want to use that as a segue, though, to get into the fact that Robin Wright needs 10,000% more screen time in this movie. (laughs) Oh, definitely.
3: Robin Wright just, like, I'm fine with her screen time in the movie because it serves a purpose, but she needs her own movie... To take place before. I want the pre Amazon spin-off. With, yeah, with Hippolyta. And, attack. Yeah, bees, my god. Uh, but, like, I just want Robin Wright as a warrior for a whole three hours. Like, I want it to be longer than this movie, even.
4: Action buttercup. Yeah, and then <laughs> uh, throw Carrie Elway's
1: in there as a villain. I didn't even realize she was in the film until so I'm, like, sitting in the theater and all of a sudden it's like, Wait a minute, what the? Ah, fuck yeah. <laughs> and then she proceeded to kick ass for like the opening fifteen minutes of the movie. Fucking ripped Buttercup!
2: I just love how Diana finally has a mentor death and her origin—the thing every other character gets to have. Mm-hmm. I like specifically that that's where the
4: tiara comes from, which is a fucking brilliant pull.
2: It finally has
3: a significance, other than <laughs> yeah, it's just sh- part of her costume. Or or used as a silly boomerang-like device, which I never under... Like, what? Like, like Wonder Woman has had some silly, silly gadgets in, along the way. Like invisible the, plane. The invisible plane. I mean, she's had all this weird gimmicky stuff, but the one thing that I always threw me for a loop for some reason was she takes off her tiara and throws it like a boomerang, and it's supposed to be razor sharp, I guess?
1: Why doesn't she cut her scalp? Just stabbing people of, in the fucking chest passed. with her tiara. She's got a super scalp it's impenetrable to magic tiaras.
2: <sighs> it's true. Uh, but only mad magic tiaras. That's her only superpower. Yeah, okay. if it's like a regular tiara, then she would still take damage.
3: So, so, like, because of the fact that Superman has a weakness to magic, like, if he ever was feeling cutesy and tried to put on Diana Ciara, he'd just be cut up and just, ah!
1: I imagine it starts to burn him and it just sinks into his skull like it's alien blood. Just psh, goes right through Superman's brains. This has
4: nothing to do with anything. If Superman had sex with Zatanna, would he die? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: I feel like he, the Phantom Zone projector from the movies would immediately come in, grab him, and pull him out of reality, and he would just be floating in space forever.
4: That's how mm-hmm. I want us to die.
1: Is Zatanna using magic contraceptive? I don't know. She's magic, so I don't know. Is she Maybe using, was... like, a magic spermicide?
4: No, fine. He butt fucks Dr. Fate. Would he
1: die? Uh, no. I think they'd be okay. Fate has intervened! <laughs> <laughs> my god, it's Kegel Control. Where the fuck were we again? Oh, yeah,
4: the Amazons. Cody was making a point or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I made my point. I just want more <laughs> Robin Rod Wright
1: movie. As do I. I mean, I do I do feel like the, the Mascara stuff didn't quite grab me as much as later bits of the movie. But that's one of those weird deals where the movie feels like it gets stronger as it goes along. So having a weak opening isn't necessarily the worst deal. Like if you finish strong, it's okay.
3: Like, I definitely feel that you're right in that the movie gets stronger as it goes along because it finds more and more of humanity along the way, because the Amazons are in, they're specifically outsourced away from humanity. They're specifically like set aside of their own culture. And, I feel like that's kind of a genius move on the movie's part where they actually treat the before scenario, like the before origin scenario, as something that feels very tonally just different. Like, we kind of got that with the beginning of Man of Steel and with Krypton, but that was just a brief action opener. And that really kind of, the only thing that served to do for anyone was just make Russell R- Crow look cool, essentially. And have Michael Shannon put on one of the weirdest performances I've ever seen. What have you done? Uh, he did uh, find them, though. He, he, did. he did. He's a man of his word. He's but... a man of his
1: word. <laughs> that General Zod, when he promises, he makes it happen.
3: But, like, you don't really get the sense of, like, okay, this is what Batman's life was before his parents were murdered. Because he's just a rich kid. There's nothing to say. Or there's, like, when Superman is a baby on Krypton, he's just a whoa, baby. Whoa. There's nothing to say.
1: MB, if you're saying there's nothing to say about Bruce Wayne's childhood, then why do we have Gotham? That's into your point, (laughs) MB.
3: But with Diana, there's a whole adulthood that she experiences before she actually puts on the suit and becomes Wonder Woman because she is raised to be an Amazon. She's one of the few characters that becomes who she is, like, within an appropriate age for her to actually go on a journey to find out who she is. like. Spider-Man kind of has the caveat of, like, okay, he's finding out who he is at the just tail end of puberty, and that's why all these powers are sort of like an allegory, and responsibility is more of an allegory for, like, all the changes happening in his life. But Diana has already experienced this whole other life, and it's so cool to see, like, This sort of alien existence that she lives, where she still wants something more and pines for something more, but she's still steeped in the Amazonian traditions and values and isn't trying to rebel against that, because so many Wonder Woman origin stories, so many lesser Wonder Woman origin stories, I feel, go really hardcore into the idea that Diana has to be different and has to be just the one Amazonian who always looked beyond the island and always saw the... Like, she was the one person on that island who was like, hey, we should go over there. Which I always felt was kind of just kind of making her a bit too special. In this, she's just an Amazon. She's just... She's determined to be special, but on Amazonian terms. She's still determined to be her mother's child. She's still determined to be someone that follows in the code and believes everything that everyone on the mascara would believe. And then she still becomes Wonder Woman. Like, that's kind of a genius improvement, I think, on the origins in the comic books. Because they're not trying to make her, like, this rebel. They're trying to make her someone who still believes it, almost to a fault, to the point where she'll go out and pursue it out of almost a naivety for what that end goal actually is because whenever Hippolyta and the other Amazons saw the end of Ares' original reign, they had to retreat it to an island where they were protected by the last bit of magic that Zeus bestowed upon them. And Diana doesn't really have that story, so she gets to go against it. But at the same time, she's not treated like she's Someone who just never paid attention whenever everyone else was paying attention to their teachings, like she still feels like a sister to everyone
4: going back to um something you you said earlier about and the differences between the beginning of the film versus how it ends up going along and builds on itself. one of the things uh brilliant structural choices that was made that I absolutely just love is starts off, the Amazons are very uh, black and white in their views. They're not shown as wrong or anything, but just this is this, this is this, this is this. Uh, of course, part of that is because they haven't really been allowed to truly grow. It's just they've been sort of stagnant. up. And then as the movie goes along, those views, you start very black and white, and then things get progressively more complicated. In the view of the world and view of just people in general – how people aren't just one specific thing, which the Amazons very much are. Just they're kind of... Everybody's sort of just one thing.
2: They're not people. They're made of clay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and until you reach the end, where Ares actually finally shows up and pretty much goes into how not at all black and white things are and how truly complicated they are. It's, I love how the movie structurally builds on itself, going from... This very simplified view, very simplified altruistic view, to more and more complicated. And then Diana marrying the black and white altruism to the gray area of how humanity in the world actually operates.
2: There's so much thought put into it.
3: One thing that I also love is just they didn't have to do the contest. Like, <laughs> Thank God! Like, they didn't, like, that's always kind of, like, there are certain moments in superhero origin stories that kind of always have to hit the one beat in order to kind of be that origin story. But Diana's always had kind of had the problem where, because her origin is told in so many different ways over the course of the years, that writers, whenever they go back to that, always have to deal with the problem of, how do we structure these events and make it simple? And this movie just bypasses a lot of what the problem is, is that there's a whole middle section of the story that is just kind of there. It's it's not really necessary. Like, this movie proves how unnecessary it is for there to be a contest, because Wonder Woman just looks at what needs to be done, goes, takes her equipment, and then meets Steve Trevor and says, okay, come on, we're leaving. Like, she takes it upon herself to do the thing that, in the comics, it takes a contest of other Amazons, like, pulling... Putting up bulletproof bracelets against guns and like slaying it's each their other. Amazon
2: and, guns they have.
3: Yeah, they're <laughs> like, all this weird stuff that just kind of is an aside and just kind of there to be spectacle more than anything. And this just gets down to the character instead. And I prefer that approach. I never thought I'd actually see a version where it presented me with a better idea of who or, of how these events should play out. And it's just they break away from a lot of the chefa.
2: At there's top. no chuffa. Well, Mike, as I think Mike put it best uh immediately after he watched it when he told us they do Wonder Woman's origin without doing Wonder Woman's origin. Yeah. But it's still Wonder Woman's origin.
4: You can't look at that and go like, well, that's not Wonder Woman's origin. This isn't that there there's all these things missing. They do Wonder Woman's origin dead on perfectly without really doing all the Minutia of wonder woman's origin
2: well, it's like raimi spider-man like, yeah, exactly. it's totally spider-man's origin it's just he doesn't show up on the ed sullivan show though could you imagine <laughs> well, oh, he would have been on leno for uh 2002 and that would have been weird yeah well i also yeah. think it, it it's also comparable to just
3: the many versions we've seen of batman over the years where it's like do we get into the training or do we just kind of leave that as an off to the side type thing and just kind of infer to that? This is sort of where you kind of meet Diana where she doesn't have to have that part of it. She doesn't have to have it there and it doesn't even really have to be inferred because it just doesn't happen and it's kind of better for it. I, I, I'm seriously loving the version that they presented here more than I've seen in the comics. Like, I can't believe that this movie not only manages to be good, but also manages to improve upon things that in the comics you kind of take as like, oh, yeah, that's that has to be law. That's just the way it always has to be. And some of the best comic book movies over the years have done that. and Wonder Woman is certainly no exception.
4: It makes Diana more proactive, not that she uh wasn't in the original. It's just the contest sort of muddles things up.
2: So direct now, and that could, that could, speaks to something I was wanting to bring up, which is something we've brought up many times in this podcast, Cody, like you especially, is the bizarre trend in modern movie making of protagonists never having agency in their own stories. That's especially yeah, prevalent in the hand. Oh yeah, especially prevalent in action movies where the main character just walks into a room, and a fight is happening. Ah! And they're they're not making things happen. That's something that I was so happy with in this movie, because every damn thing in this film from Steve Trevor arriving onward is something Diana makes happen.
4: Diana affects the plot. The plot does not affect Diana.
3: If Diana did nothing, then Steve Trevor would have drowned, the Germans would have Marched onto the island, and then there would have been a weird, pointless battle, and nobody would have known what happened at all, and then nothing. Just in credits.
1: It sets up an alternate world where the Men High Castle makes more sense.
2: <laughs> Just think, somewhere in there is Paradise Island, and the Amazons are going to rescue everyone from the Nazis. I assume that of every story. But also, like,
3: you brought up something that I know for a fact you're dying to talk about, Mike, which is the version of Ares in this movie. <laughs> Lucifer Ares. Okay, can we, can we just talk about the fact that Ares in the comic book's
2: boring character. He's just there to be kind of a big, burly supervillain. He's, He's really the- cool in Gods and Mortals. So that's about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, to excuse they my work.
1: ignorance. I don't know much about the One Woman comics. Like, I, I couldn't tell you any of her main villains. Like, I don't know what a rogue gallery even looks like.
2: It's it all over matter. the place. It's all over the place. Let's just say that she has the same kind of villains that Captain America has. Well, of Nazis. Or just like there's like two big ones, and then like a lot of midgets and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's put it to you this way: Doctor
4: Poison, kind of a big deal.
1: What are they gonna do for the sequel? That Poison be like ninety.
2: By the way, I want to see old Doc Poison so badly, like, on her deathbed, handing, like, the next villain her notebook of evil schemes. I'm sure that notebook is continuing in some way. By the way, because I don't want us to move past it, just real quick. So Dr. Poison and Ludendorff were just Boris and Natasha, right? (laughs) Especially in that one scene where she's like, the gas mask won't work.
1: They, they
2: don't, don't know, know that. I <laughs> <laughs> just see Danny Houston, like, giggle. like <laughs> Seeing Danny Houston just ham it up as an evil pre-Nazi is delightful. <laughs> so I love how that's Poison and Ludendorff's thing is they're Nazis in World War One, <gasps> And the German brass is really pissed off that they're just being Nazis. <laughs> No no, you will have your war. <laughs> Before we move back to uh
4: back to Ares, I did really like how Poison Ludendorff were kind of the evil versions of the archetypes Diana and Steve were in the movie. Oh yeah. Like they were fighting against their superiors trying to stop the war by trying to call for peace.
1: I, I love the functionality that the movie has where Doc Poison doesn't get a long exposition bit to get you into her. Like, there, there's literally moments, like a second or two, or maybe a line or two, that really just explain the entire character. And that's all you need. It's beautiful, and it works. It's it's not expansive, but who cares? It doesn't need to be. Uh, like, in the ball scene, ballroom scene, where uh, Trevor is hitting on her, more or less, and he starts looking at Deanna, and she catches him staring at her and just realizes what the deal is. Like, she's got her fucked up face, so she knows she doesn't have a chance, and it pisses her off. And She storms out of there and is like, Oh, that's like basically the entirety of the character's psyche explained in just body
2: language. Yeah, I
3: that's love a- that scene by the way. Just because Chris Pine playing a Nazi, playing a spy, <laughs>
2: hair like, pine,
3: <laughs> I love that so much because I want to see a version, I want to see a whole movie of just him playing that character. We might Nine
1: be able stars- to get that in a new Star Trek if they do enough time travel, uh,
2: Valkyrie 2. But, but it's uh, you see, <laughs> Die Harder, Valkyrie 2. <laughs> You're You know, that duality between the two groups kind of reveals so much about the characters. Like, Ludendorff's thing is just being Shadow Trevor. Like, he's just a soldier doing his job, but he's a piece of shit. Meanwhile, Poison is just an embodiment of an ideal. Diana is an embodiment of, you know, nobility and strength. Poison is just evil for the sake of evil.
1: Still should have been more Dr. Poison. There should always well, she's alive, we could get more duck poison in the sequel, depending on when it's set for true, sure.
2: oh, she's actually the main villain of the second one. she creates cheetah oh,
1: <laughs> we, with more poison uh before we
2: get too far. what do
1: you guys place into the theory that d c is trying to set up the creation of venom through Duck poison super strength serum?
2: if they did, it's accidental,
1: yeah. That's kind of also, what I got. But people online were freaking out, like, oh, my God, it's genius. I'm like, that's not I
2: mystery. don't think that
3: Others no. Brothers knows what Venom is. Also, that was, like, if I had to pick out one thing that completely took me out of the movie for even a second, because for the most part, I was just completely on board 100% all the time. It's just, I why did Glutendorf had to, like, sniff up just super
4: strength pills? I have a strong, strong distaste of that entire plot.
1: I have yeah. a feeling it was just the setup originally, so you're supposed to think, "Oh man, that's how he's gonna fight her at the end." Well, it's, but they're also setting him up as possibly Ares, so as a god, he shouldn't need super strength pills.
4: Well, with like the line like here, "This will restore your strength," which really doesn't make any sense in the context of him not being Ares. They're essentially—it's just red herring gas to make you believe yeah. that he's Ares, and that's it. Just he doesn't really do anything with the strength until very briefly when fighting Diane at the very end. I got spoiled I, by Legos like years ago about what the reveal was, so it never yeah. fooled well, me. Yeah, most people were. But the thing was is it also kind of – it hurts the movie in a very subtle way because you're supposed to – through things Trevor is very subtly doing, you're supposed to start to wonder – and the fact that you know history – you're supposed <laughs> to kind of wonder, is Diana actually wrong and there is no Ares? But as soon as he starts sniffing gas that makes his skin glow for some reason and gives him super strength, that's when it kind of, the movie kind of fights itself very, just a little bit. But it would actually strengthen that and strengthen the reveal that Ares is actually at all involved so much more if you didn't have that, you know, random comic booky element pop
2: up. Well, I think there's kind of, There was kind of a debate within the script on which reveal they wanted to go for. Is the reveal that Ludendorff isn't Ares, or is the reveal that Ares exists at all? Yeah. Because they kind of try to have it both ways.
4: They do. And I think they actually kind of pull it off with the way – now as we segue back into talking about Ares 20 minutes later, Mm.
1: um, they kind of pull it off. Just them. by making Ares like an enabler instead of the actual driving force between... Yeah,
2: yeah, the, yeah, I was very, very surprised with how well they were able to stick that.
4: Yeah, and and a much more interesting Ares. Yeah, playing Ares as Lucifer, just sort of floating around, literally,
1: um, sewing... That was a dead I, giveaway. That's how everyone knew David the Lewis was evil, when his feet just never touched the floor.
4: It's like, oh, he's up to something. <laughs>
1: He, no, changed, he seems like nice That's the island of Dr. Moreau. Why, why is he ten feet off the ground? And why is he talking about the
4: dude? I don't get it. But having him be Lucifer and just sow seeds of better ideas for war, letting humans just do what they wish with it. And even like the even Ares, when he was Sir Patrick, actually fighting for peace was an interesting thing. i was just signed just doing things to see the pushback humans would give him. Having him truly be the god of war and that he's just sort of enabling humans. He's not influencing them like comic book Ares does or people just start wrestling as soon as he walks by. <laughs> Although
1: funny. how fun would that be? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it just never gets it. She's walking in rooms. For some reason, guys just instantly start wrestling. She's like,
2: That's, is that how your, your, your people do it? Yeah. David Thulis is here. We got to show off.
1: And they just rip off their uniforms of bronze, and they're fucking wrestling for no goddamn reason. I like Man's World.
3: <laughs> I want to see this be a deleted scene on the Blu-ray so bad. But just David Thewlis walking
1: around causing terror wherever he goes. <laughs> Women just instantly drop their babies and start arm wrestling.
4: Yeah, and the babies start arm wrestling.
2: This the babies to prowl each other with knives. But it's it's interesting because it. It takes something that's always been a part of Ares in the comics, that kind of Magneto thing he has, especially in the Perez run of being more of a teacher to Diana than an out and out enemy. Just saying, okay, I'm a force of nature. I have to exist. So I'm just going to try to do my thing and we'll, we'll see if we can coexist. Like they took that, but went really hardcore with it where, like, like Mike said, he's essentially just Satan at this point, just disappointed in his, Zeus's creation.
4: Yeah, and it, it feels more like a deity that way, because he's truly, Diana's truly fighting more of a concept of the darkness of humanity through Ares. And Ares's thing being more, let's have humanity destroy each other, then we can create a peaceful utopia out of that. And Diana actually fighting against that to... You know, humans should live into their better natures, but should not be policed in this kind of way. Should not be forced to do anything. They should have free will to make bad fucking choices sometimes. Also, David Thulis was fucking ripped in that flashback, and that's hilarious. With his mustache.
3: His flashback mustache is one of my favorite things, and also just... Even though it does it is admittedly kind of a silly visual, I kind of personally love that when he gets his big like burly super villain armor and he gets his giant like helmet, which he carves with his two fingers and makes the indention in. You still see the tiny mustache inside. <laughs> like, it kind of endears this version of Ares to me. I don't know why. It's like he's a little gentleman. <laughs>
2: oh, I, I love how we had it both ways. We had comic book Ares, and we also had David Thewlis fucking shit up as a Victorian dandy. Yeah, <laughs> just flying like
4: Magneto. And then he just put on the Perez armor, which was surreal to see in live
1: action.
2: They just fought like Wonder Woman and Ares fight. Yeah. I
1: guess my issue is here. we end up with just that big CGI battle and it feels so disappointing compared to what we've seen before and very, you know, it's just very standard superhero. And that's frustrating to me. And also the way they build this character up. He sounds like he should be an overarching villain that you would have tying Wonder Woman movies together. He's like the Thanos kind of feel, you know? And in this movie, like she meets him, they fight and 10 minutes later, he's dead like, all of the Amazons were terrified of this guy, and all the hinting, like, oh, she can never meet him, blah, 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 blah. And blah It's it's resolved very quickly and neatly. She's the god killer, Cody. She did kill him with the lightning of Zeus. Yeah. Still, I, it just feels like it underplays what the kind of villain they set up earlier in the movie. If they'd wanted to, they could have really just carried that through and automatically set something up in two that would already have kind of a basis. So I, I feel like it's underutilized, which is my frustration. Besides that, like, imagine the ending if they just cut off right after she kills the general and it's just kind of an anticlimactic, oh, shit. It was just man all along. Like, you still see Ares is out there doing shit, maybe influencing. What a depressing Wonder Woman movie that would be. I mean, we still kind of get that. I think they kind of flub the ending because it's not like... I don't know. Like you said, they try and have it both ways. So you can take it whatever way you want, but it's still it goes to play against Anna's idea as a man. Like, they still did most of the stuff on their own will.
2: That's what Trevor showed, that man can be better. Right, and they still could have done that. They still could have had him blowing up the plane himself. Yeah, well, that's that's the
1: exact
4: point, is they, they end up still having Ares, but Ares wasn't actually doing anything.
1: Right, and that's why it's a disappointment. It's like, oh, and here's this big CGI battle at the end. It's like, "Nah, no, fuck that, just cut it out. I
3: don't know. I, then I it's not have, a movie,
2: I have, Cody.
3: <laughs> I, have two, I have two points. Just hear me out. One, I do, th- I do kind of see your point in that. I do feel like it, it's a missed opportunity to not have Aries be carried forward into other movies, just because I do love that character that they set up, and I also love David Lewis's performance in this movie. Yeah, and I think he's entertaining. But the thing is, is that I do feel what you're describing as a disappointment was the movie's actual intention to be the twist. Like that's that's the entire like. That's the trope being turned on its head, is the idea that he wasn't actually doing anything, but that's more terrifying because he was just enabling humans to do his work for them, for him, because he wanted this to be a giant test for humanity. He wanted humanity to fail so that he could turn to the other gods and basically say, okay, you created these people, and look at what they did, and I didn't really do anything. So, you know what? Zeus was wrong the entire time. And he just kind of wanted to vilify himself. For like having lost that war, having like had this massive battle between the gods, and the entire point is that he's weakened and just made to be someone who is left with no leg to stand on. So he just kind of fades into the background and lets humanity speak for him. And what's really horrifying is that they do—they actually kind of make his point for him and were it not for people like Steve, were it not for people like, you know, like, like even Charlie and, and the other members of the battalion that go in with Diana to show that there are lighter sets of humanity, then Ares would be kind of completely justified in every single thing he does. Cause humanity totally fought a world world war and the war to end all wars, as Trevor put it. And they did it just with him kind of edging, edging them on. And, they're kind of the real villains.
1: But I mean you still end up with World War II, I'm assuming, in that universe without Ares entirely. <laughs> so yes. things got well, even worse. The World War War
4: World War One also happened with with technically without Ares actually starting the war.
2: The, the, but Ares had schemes within the war.
4: The thing you have to view it as is Diana's battling the opposite version of herself, essentially way diana inspires people around her for change for the greater part of humanity aries does the exact opposite he influences so diana is fighting the opposite number to herself she's fighting the a a concept essentially in aries
1: and then they go and murder the concept at the end it just drives me nuts because if you're going to set up a concept like that that's something you could really stretch out throughout several films, and it really would have bulked up the thematics behind that. And I don't know, I just get frustrated because it's something that feels so toss-away. Like, oh, we need a villain in this movie, so here's a fucking
2: battle. Trust me, as somebody who's read Wonder Woman comics, that's literally all you can do with Ares. He he can show up once in Wonder Woman's origin and battle her briefly. Beyond that, there's not too much you can do. He's an origin
4: villain, and also it just... Instead of stretching that across as, uh, as sequel villain set up and stuff, I like how it just closes the story loop of this movie, at least for me. It, it's part of Diana's ultimate lesson throughout the film. Ares and Diana more or less just monologue to one another a little bit at the end and they only fight a little bit. And I do have problems with the third act fight getting a little CGI fuck festy. Not necessarily yeah. because they're fighting, it's just I think that's... Particular CGI battle could have been done better to where it was a little less fuck festy. I didn't like how everything was just on fire at a certain point. And stuff. I yeah, get that it was supposed to get be a overblown like a free kill
1: kind of thing, but. It was a little- hey, I think uh, it was probably Film Critic Hulk, I think, mentioned it. like it, I think audiences at this point are tired of these giant CGI battles. They want something more Kill Bill Volume 2, like a close personal battle that's intimate.
4: And you start having CGI on top of others. Like, okay, Ares is CGI. Okay. Maybe not have, like, everything around them also be CGI. Like, let's chill out a little bit.
3: I I do feel like... I don't feel as strongly about it as the, both of you do, but I do feel like it's like that's just kind of a point of indulgence that they kind of unfortunately made, which is... This is still a DCEU movie at the end of the day because they had to have one shot of a Zack Snyder-type fight. And, that, and I feel like they do it way better in this movie than in either of the
1: Zack Snyder movies. Like, it's I'm gonna not... be so weird when it happens in the solo Batman film.
3: <laughs> yeah, when when the CGI
4: Joker is Batman battling Clayface.
3: <laughs> yeah, when CGI Riddler shows up, that's when I kind of like check out immediately because like, Riddler why does he mu- why does he have huge muscles? That's weird.
1: He's on Venom. One. They're One all on Venom. Clayface yeah. is on Venom. Yeah. Poison Ivy's on Venom.
2: Oh fuck! Just fucking shredded Poison Ivy. Uh-oh. The dummy is on Venom somehow.
3: <laughs> but, the, but the point I, I meant to make, like, I didn't mean to compare it to the Zack Snyder movies in terms of that. I just, it feels like that's a very, Warner Brothers has a certain aesthetic that at some point the movie couldn't help. But, but the, to, to Jenkins' credit, I think she managed to kind of handle it more cinem- like. More visually arresting than the droll, drab fight of, like, Zod and Superman, or, like, Do- especially Doomsday, which just looked like a cartoon. Yeah,
4: well, it well, it wasn't it, boring, at least. Like, for a first-time action director, the fact that it was only, like, one small portion of that fight that, like, kind of bothered me in
2: that way speaks volumes. Yeah, c- compare it to uh, Shane Black, you know, returning to movies after a decade with Iron Man 3 and that cgi finale i think uh i think compared to to the two jenkins uh cuts her teeth a little bit better like so it, it could have things could have gone way more south
3: yeah diana didn't fly into like an armor suit that was a bunch of like an army of armor suits of like magical amazonian armor suits that fight and try to kill the president
2: that would have been awesome mm-hmm.
1: At least with Iron Man 3, though, I mean, the whole point throughout the movie is Tony's reliance on the suits and him eventually dropping them. You get that throughout the fight where he starts with the enormous number of those suits. And by the end, it's him with literally like three pieces of armor on when he fights the Mandarin. So there is some strong thematics going on in there to explain what's happening. And uh, from my experience, I had way more fun watching the last finale battle. Besides Guy Pearce shouting out, I'm the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 than I did the... Ending fight of Wonder Woman. The,
3: the, I am on that, oh.
1: Which is racist, by the way.
3: Well, that's just kind of something I think we're well, going to have to agree, disagree on,
1: because... It's really weird, because <laughs> if you watch the TV version, he just shouts out, I am the marmalade. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't, I don't get what they're going for. Freak you, man. <laughs> I've had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday <laughs> through Friday plane.
2: Full of stories, you Chinese dentist. <laughs> this is what happens when
1: you meet a stranger in the Alps. Oh, the people at home must be confused.
2: Although I'm sure they're all very familiar with TV edits. Now we're doing this for millennials, man. What even is TV? I've never seen The Big Lebowski, and then we all just scream.
3: But like, I think the main point at home is this movie had a way more going on for it than any of us, I think, expected. Because Wonder Woman was easy to kind of write off as just, oh, it's going to be the side DC thing, because I don't think any of us had any faith that they can make a movie of this quality anymore. Like that, that was just dead for a while.
1: Well, like it all take... the all the reports to like Flash, that movie like losing three different directors and no one stepping up to make Batman happen. It, it just felt like DC was a place people didn't want to work. So my assumption was Wonder Woman was probably just going to get destroyed in the editing room. Like there'd be a man with a giant suit and sunglasses on there, just with a hand on the back of Patty shoulder, uh, Patty Jenkins' shoulder, just telling her like, nope, nope, not that. Get rid of it.
2: What a oh, horrifying know. image that is.
3: <laughs> it's David Lewis. He's, he's influencing influencing. No. But, but it doesn't help that there were also people who took to that and immediately started spreading rumors that that was actually what was going on. Oh, yeah. I
2: forgot about when uh, Wonder Woman was a train wreck for a while, according something, to top C- DC execs.
3: Something that happened at least three consecutive times, which really got worrying because there's a history of that, and that actually sounded plausible.
2: No.
3: So Wonder Woman actually coming out and being as good as it is, and being something to where we can look at it and say that it is something positive to come out of not only this year but the superhero genre in general is something that makes this beyond a success for me. It's it's if there is a better superhero movie this year, I will be very surprised because I I don't like Spider Man Homecoming looks great, but I don't think it's going to say. Nearly as much as Wonder Woman did. Wonder Woman just had so much and so much that was surprising that I, I don't think there's just going to be a more profound superhero movie experience and really movie experience because this movie has a really positive message beyond its own genre. It's and nice I think that this movie yeah.
4: had something to say.
0: Yeah.
2: I asked uh, that uh, immediately leaving. Like, this is the first time since. Maybe the Avengers. I walked out of a superhero movie feeling, honest to God, happy, just grinning ear to ear with a goddamn song in my heart. And that song was the 70s Wonder Woman theme. Bullshit. Should have been in there. There's but, always time for the sequel. But look,
4: it's 2017. Trump is president. This is the exact movie that we needed.
3: And for, and just to kind of bring it home even more, I, I want to read this very quick quote. Um, this was posted to The Inquisitor a couple of days ago on June 9th. We've been in and, there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Promotion. Just us and Wonder Woman. That's it. <laughs> the only two of people they ever report we ha- on.
3: We have a slight connection to this movie. We do. Oh, we can, like,
4: do we, we have part of the gross now?
3: I just, I just want to, like, can I, you know, have a free copy of the Blu-ray. Like that, that, I don't think that's too much to ask.
4: Can I you give Gal easy? Can I give Gal Gadot a high five?
3: <laughs> she would break it probably. Worth but it. the Inquisitor had this article, and this is what you get when you finally give a female superhero a chance, which is Gal Gadot's personal reply to a seven-year-old fan who sent her a handwritten letter, and the letter was written by a. I believe, yeah, a seven-year-old Israeli girl who wanted her mother specifically to write to Gal Gadot because of the fact that she went out with her mother after seeing the movie and said that she couldn't find any Wonder Woman towels, surfboards, or bedding. And the next morning, her mother said uh, Zoe's letter was waiting on the kitchen table with a request, which was that her mother sent it to Gal Gadot. And that's exactly what she did. It said, Dear Gal, I love Wonder Woman very much, meaning it's you. So if you don't mind, could you please create games, pajamas, and surfboards of Wonder Woman? With love, Zoe Vardy Bar. I am 7.5 years old. Gal Gadot responded to this and said that she was very happy to read her letter and specifically, like, a dress, like, you have really beautiful handwriting, well done. I'm not responsible for pajamas and surfboards, but I think it's a really good idea, and we certainly need to find whoever's responsible for this and tell him to create games, pajamas, and surfboards. You're very smart and creative. I wonder what you would like to be when you grow up. In the meantime, I'm sending you a big hug, gal. You don't get that with any other superhero movie experience. You just don't. So and she didn't go out and personally make the blankets? I mean, she's got other things to do. She's Wonder Woman.
1: You don't know if she can knit. <laughs> That's true. I mean, she, she there's a large order. She she needs time. I mean, she doesn't need to make up for everyone. This could be small like specialty stuff. She could do an Etsy.
3: Okay, well, I, I'm sorry that I just assumed that Gal Gadot, the actress, didn't have more important things to do than, like, take a bit of her career out and just personally make merchandise for the movie that has big corporations attached to it. I'm sorry.
1: Gal Gadot, if you're listening, could you please make me a Wonder Woman blanket? I want a
2: surfboard I, handmade by Gal Gadot.
1: I could pretty see awesome.
2: Gadot being a surfboard shaper in her spare time.
4: God, how sad would it be though if I took that board out and then drowned?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that would be her revenge, Mike. Oh, I was Dr.
1: Psycho that day. <laughs> I'm just trying not to laugh anymore. <laughs> just imagining Mike in the Joanna's face. A surfboard for me! Hooray! <laughs> <I> just
2: just <laughs> no. He gets the surfboard from Gal Gadot. It immediately cuts to Mike just floating, lifeless in the ocean. Just, just ass up. Oh God!
1: Is that the end image for the end of our show? <laughs>
2: Just me dead in the water. <laughs> and then the surfboard oh floats back to Gal Gadot. <laughs> Thank you, my pretty.
4: And she nods and walks off. And then the credits start to play as she walks off. I don't know why there's credits now,
1: but there's credits. <laughs> it's,
2: it's okay, this was, this, was, this, was, this was literally
1: the ending of Hellraiser. Like she gets <laughs> the box back and leaves.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: I would love for Gal Gadot to be the new penhead.
4: <laughs> what is your wonder, sir?
1: I like how this started as Envy trying to show you a heartwarming story and then we stomp that into the dirt.
4: Listen, it was a heartwarming story, but sometimes there needs to be room for me dying at the hands of awful. Gal Gadot's magical surfboard.
3: I hate this stupid podcast.
4: It's pretty bad. And if you'd like to subscribe to Box Office Poll, we are on iTunes and Stitcher. Please, if you like the show, rate us and subscribe and listen. Share us around. We are also on Twitter at Box Office Pulp. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash office Pulp. And of course the website is BoxOfficePulp.blogspot.com. dot If you like more, find shows in the Pulp Podcast Network. That is Pulp Podcast See how quickly I did that? Boom, professional. That was impressive.
1: That was, that was so professional, I don't even know what to do now, I'm just, like...
4: I was inspired by Wonder Woman
1: to pimp the shows correctly, for once. Shit, okay, well, the show's over, folks, you gotta get out, like, now. That was the best ending we're gonna ever have. Get the hell out of here, that's a wrap.
3: Oh god, guys, do you hear it? I think the Wonder Woman theme is starting to play over...